0: This week's Sports Zone on at Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkson. and we're talking all things sports in Salford. Join the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweeter and James looking forward to talking all things sports in Salford.
1: Yeah, most definitely, Rob. I think we're both in the festive mood now, aren't we? So it's time to get, get ready for this week's show, and I can't wait to break everything down for you. Yep.
0: Yeah. So, what we'll do, James we will start. With a darts. And if you weren't already in the Christmas spirit, James, when, when, then you will be on Wednesday. The World Darts Championship returns, and we can't wait for it, can we?
1: You know what, Rob? I mean, some people start the Christmas countdown when X Factor starts in August. Others <laughs> start it when I'm a, I'm a Celebrity starts in November. But for me, the Christmas party well and truly begins on December the 15th. It's tinsel time. It's time to get under the mistletoe. It's the Darts World championships and it doesn't get any better than this. Trump. Maybe the greatest sport in the Christmas season and everybody comes together to watch the tungsten fly and I can't wait for it. Could Michael Van Gerwen reclaim his best? Will Peter Wright emerge victorious once again? Can Gerwen Price defend his world title or will somebody like a James Wade or even a Fallon Sherrick come out of nowhere and pick up the championship? It's a truly inviting sport and I can't wait to watch it this year.
0: Yeah, a few weeks ago, you were 100% confident that Johnny Clayton was going to win the tournament. Do you still feel the same way? I think if you recall, Rob, I said that nobody was going to beat Johnny Clayton.
1: Uh, I was extremely adamant about that. Uh, Now the tournament is actually here. I'm not quite as confident as I earlier was. Look, it is difficult. I mean, there's there's over 64 players in this tournament. And to win it, it takes something real special. And if you've not done it before, like Johnny Clayton hasn't, and it's especially hard. However, he's still exceptionally talented. And the run of form he's been on this year has been nothing short of remarkable. For me, he's been the best player on the circuit. He's won four televised tournaments, three of which being majors. And it's very difficult to see if when he's playing at his best, somebody to stop him. However, there's so many other good players. So, honestly, Rob, nothing's guaranteed.
0: Let's look at some of the games from the, from the opening round, James. Firstly. Fallon Sherlock takes on bronzed and donist Steve Beaton. Uh, can the Queen of the Palace continue the amazing things she's done in a female sport?
1: Yeah, I mean, Fallon Sherlock has well and truly crossed over, Rob. I'm sure you've been hearing all about her remarkable mm. achievements, being, honestly, the only woman to have ever won in a PDC major event. And the only woman also now to have made the last 16 of a major event. So what she's doing is absolutely incredible. If I was to tell you that a female footballer, I I don't know, Megan Rapione was competing in the Champions League, you wouldn't believe me. You'd say it's absolutely ludicrous. So that's what the context we have to look at eh, Rob. That's the context. That's how good a player Fallon Sherrick is. She's beating the best of the best in the men's divisions. And that is absolutely incredible. Is she going to win this week? I would say she's a narrow, narrow favourite against the bronze Adonis, Steve Beaton. I feel like she brings a lot of pressure because people don't want to lose against her. But slowly but surely, that stigma will go and people won't see it as losing against a woman. They'll just see it as losing against another very good darts player. But as of right now, she's still got that aura about her and Steve Beaton will feel that pressure. But he's a very good player in his own right, incredibly seasoned, and I wouldn't look past him. It's not a foregone conclusion for Fallon and Sherry.
0: Yeah, I think obviously Fallon uh, Sher- Sherrock is a, tra- a trailblazer, isn't she? Really, and obviously competing in the in, in the men's competition is real sort of a uh, uh, special thing, really. And I suppose darts is probably only like, one of the sports that sort of women and men can kind of compete on the on the on the same level, a bit like snooker uh, in a way. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I mean, there's no actual physicality. I mean,
1: nobody's going to be pushing or. All that sort of stuff with Fallon Sherrick. There's no physical element to darts. But even still, men tend to have an advantage in just the way their bodies are formed. And the fact that Fallon Sherrick is overcoming that adversity and beating the men, it's just a testament to what an incredible athlete this woman is. I mean, from an outside perspective, Rob, when you're looking at Sky Sports News and you're watching all the stories come in, and you see that a woman is dismantling the best players on the planet, the best male players on the planet, what do you think?
0: Well it puts dance into into a sort of a, a higher plane, doesn't it really? You know, and I suppose that helps with sponsors, it helps with prize money, also helps with the fact that you know, little girls out there with watching her and wanting to be uh, the next uh, Fallon Sherrick. So you know, I think it's exciting uh, that that she's able to compete at the uh, the men's uh, competitions, and and hopefully she'll she'll continue a good run and and become one of the one of all time greats. Because that's what you need. You need uh, her t- to be seen as as one of the greatest uh, in in the sport. So then it grows the sport. It grows the the women's participation in it, and uh, it can all go from there. Most
1: definitely, Robert. It'll be interesting the question I'm about to ask you to get an outside perspective of somebody who's not as into darts as I am. Mm. But at the end of the World Championship, they announced the Premier League. So it's an invitational event. Uh, the PDC and Sky picked 10 players to compete all over the country in a league format. Right. You don't qualify for this event, they pick you. Okay. And usually they're going for the top 10 best players, who befo- the top 10 best performers of the year. <laughs> However, it's looking increasingly likely that Fallon Sherrick. Is going to get a place in that lineup? Yeah. Has she achieved more than some of the other players that could go in there? No, but she's bringing a massive deal of marketability uh, and marketability, yep. marketability and drastically improving the game for females. So, from an outside perspective, would you say she deserves to be in there?
0: I think she does. If you want to grow the sport, you need the big names in there, don't you? Um, I, I say I don't know who's in this in this darts competition, but uh, is Philip Howard Taylor in it? Uh, he's retired now, Phil. Oh, joking. But uh, there's still a lot of good names. The Michael Van
1: Goghs, the Gering Prices. That, yep. that, that's the, uh, the calibre she'll be competing with.
0: Yeah, I think it's important. I think it's important, obviously, these big competitions have uh, the big names in. And, and that will bring the crowd in. That will bring the sponsors in. That will bring the TV in. Uh, and it, the profile grows from there. Yeah, it sounds like we're using her as a bit of a close horse, And obviously, you know, just wheeling her out just so we get the big money in. But she's a good darts player as well, by the sound of it. So she will stand her ground uh, in the competition.
1: She most certainly will, Rob. And we'll have to wait and see how well she does at the World Championship because it's now a year ago since she put on those amazing performances and since she grabbed the world's attention. Can she replicate the same this year? We'll have to wait and
0: see. The incredible Paul Lim will be entertaining crowds again. The 67-year-old Singaporean is simply incredible.
1: I mean, within the question there, Rob, we understand why this is incredible. I mean, Fallon Sherrick obviously, is doing remarkable things, being a female, competing at such a high level. But equally, what Paul Lim is doing is incredible. A 67-year-old competing at the highest level of sport. That is just incredible, Rob. And when I tell you that Paul Lim has been playing for over 30 years, an absolute veteran of the game, has been competing with the likes of Phil Taylor and Manley and all these great players, your bristols, etc., and he's still at the pinnacle of the sport. He's still playing his very best darts. Surely to you as an outsider, you think that's incredible because could you imagine other 67 year olds playing at such level? I mean, he's three years off 70. It
0: is. It is amazing. Obviously with, with darts, I suppose the older you get, your eyes sight might go. Um, and I suppose, like you say, it's experience really. So as long as his eyes are, Sort of uh you know, intact, and he can still see the board in, in detail, and, and he's able to sort of aim his darts at the board, even at sixty-seven, and, and be able to put his uh, dart on a sixpence. Then it's it, it doesn't really matter. He doesn't really come into it in any sport, really. You know, if you if you sort of they say if you, you if you're good enough, uh, you know, if you're young, good enough, you're young enough, and if you're good enough, you're, you're old enough.
1: Well, his eyes certainly work perfectly, Rob, when he's aiming for that treble sixty bed.
0: Yeah, that's it. It doesn't obviously, like I say, it doesn't really matter, you know, really age, as long as he can sort of uh, keep his, uh, keep his, you know, his eye in and, and not, you know, get the shakes and miss, miss uh, darts, then you know he could be a contender.
1: Yeah, he could be. I mean, it's unlikely that he's going to go on to win this tournament, but he's got an easy. Well, I don't want to say easy because that's disrespectful, but he's got a, a winnable opening fixture. Hmm. And when Paul Lim plays, the entire arena gets behind him. He's beloved at the Alley Pally. And I think he can possibly get to the second round here. I think it's doable, and he'll make history once again by becoming the oldest player to have done so.
0: Is the alley pally like the the darts of Wem- like Wembley darts? It's an absolute cauldron, the alley pally rob.
1: Everybody gets dressed up wearing the costumes, and it's just a real good time. I think everybody enjoys the darts, and some people can argue that maybe that belittles the sport a little bit because it's more of a night out rather than you going to watch elite level craftsmen, I suppose, at their, at their particular game, but. For me, Rob, it just comes with it and I think the atmosphere that the Dart that the PDC have built around darts is just helping the sport develop further.
0: Which is important really, because with Darts you're competing with other sports that that for people's money, aren't they? And and social time. So if it is a good time, exciting night out, then and, and you're able to watch sport at the same time, then you know, it's fantastic, isn't it? It's fantastic. We all get behind it and you've got to find your niche ultimately, haven't you? Hmm.
1: I mean, rugby, I suppose, has its niches and football does and horse racing does and doubts has found it. So it needs to keep working that angle, keep growing the sport. And it's just getting bigger all the time. I mean, the Premier League announced new fixtures all the time. They're often going to new places. I mean, we now have not only the events in Rotterdam, but also in Berlin. And then you see other events like the World Series being played in Austria and Salzburg. And then I think the European Championships has been in Germany, in Brussels, in Belgium. So the sport's growing rapidly.
0: Raymond van der Van der Velde is back at the tournament. Do you think he can impress the Barney Army?
1: You'd like to hope so. If anyone's ever seen Raymond van Barneveld playing Rotterdam, and you see that sea of orange fans, you'll realise what he means to the Dutch people. Mm. Raymond van Barneveld is one of the greatest darts players of all time. A five-time world champion. Is he going to win this tournament? It's unlikely. But the romantic in me Wants to see him put in a good run. Wants to see him rise through the ranks. Wants me to see him get to a quarterfinal, get to a semi-final, and you never know. It's Christmas, Rob. It's a magical time.
0: And that's the important thing, I suppose. You know, with with tournaments, if you get a good run, you get a bit of luck, James. You know, anything can happen. I mean, this is it. It's the matter.
1: They often say the magic of the FA Cup, but there's also the magic of the Darts World Championship because. Yeah. When you get to the final four, the semi-finalists, it's extremely rare the top four seeds are still left hanging. Mm. You often get upsets. You often get people sneaking their way in. And some of the people who've been there over the past few years, you never would have predicted that at the start of the tournament. So we can't write off Raymond van Barneveld because he's capable of amazing things. I mean, yes, 2007, his last World Championship was a long time ago. But I still want to believe that Barney's got a little bit left in the tank. And if he truly needs it, he can bring it out.
0: I think it's obviously mental strength as well, James, because obviously every dart matters. So if you hit the board, then you've got to do a quick calculation yeah, on where you've got to hit next. And I suppose with darts, you're looking sort of two and three darts head not you to get a sort of a negotiate your way through your, is it 501?
1: 501, yeah. And I mean, the mathematics on display from some of these dart players are incredible. I mean, people can say they're not elite level
0: athletes, but they are elite level mathematicians. Yeah. Yeah, and, that, and that's that's an important thing, isn't it? Really, because obviously, it's I suppose it's physical as well, because you've got to be able to keep that sort of standard of of strength throwing the dart at the board, aren't you, as well? So it's both both physical and mental, really, darts. Yeah,
1: I don't think people realise how hard it is to play for first to sixteen. Mm. That you're on stage for over an hour. It's extremely difficult to keep your form up for that length of time, and the darts players don't get credit for that, in my opinion.
0: Just to give us a quick breakdown on some of the players, James, do you think Gehrman Price can defend his title? Gehrman Price is more than capable of defending his title. I mean,
1: when he won the World Dots Championship last year, I think we expected him to run riot and win all the major tournaments. That's not necessarily happened. However, he did just win the Grand Slam. So he's riding a bit of momentum going into this. I mean, that was his third time winning that tournament. And I think he's motivated in particular for this World Championships, because he's got that monkey on his back of, well, the only reason you did it is because we were in a pandemic and there was no crowd. You wouldn't have been able to cross the line if that crowd was there. Mm. So Goobin wants to prove, yes, I can do it in front of a crowd. I can prove to be the best player in the world, no matter who's watching. And he's got that opportunity. And I think he's got a very good chance. Should
0: we accept big things from Michael Van Gerwen?
1: Yeah, we should. It's such a difficult question to answer really, Rob, because he has struggled over the past few years and there's no denying that. Mm. Over the past couple of seasons, he's not played brilliantly. I mean, he's won one major in that time. He's not won a major at all in the past year. But I think over the last four or five, six big televised tournaments, he's slowly but surely managed to get his form back. He won the Nordic Darts Masters and yes, not a major, but still a televised title. He's getting there. He's slowly getting back to his best. And the World Championships is where we're going to see the best of Michael Van Gerwen. It's the tournament that means the most to him. I mean, there's been years where he's won about five or six major tournaments. And then he's gone out the Worlds and he's thrown his toys out the pram and he's refused to do interviews because that's the one that means the most to him. I think he's coming to win this, Rob. I think it'd be a fantastic end to this drought of tournaments he's had, the lack of winning them. I think it'd be fantastic if he could win the World Championships.
0: Does that become more of a mental thing for Van-, Van Gerwen that he's not won as many titles as he should have done during that period? Definitely, Rob. I mean,
1: there's no doubting that Michael Van Gerwen has his demons. And you would do, wouldn't you? As a sportsman who's been so dominant in his field for such a long period of time, when you stop winning majors and you have that drought, you start to doubt yourself because you begin to think, am I the player I used to be? But it's fair to say that he keeps trying and there are all glimmers In all his performances of his best, he's just not quite able to access it. It's like he's got a jigsaw puzzle with 90% of the pieces. But he's hoping at the World Championships it snaps back into place because I think we all want to see Michael Van Guren play at his best because we want to know who the best player in the world is, don't we? We want to see every single player play at the very best to that optimum performance and we get to find out who the world's premier darts player is. I don't know if it's Gerwin Price anymore. I don't know if it's Michael Van Geuwen. I don't know if Johnny Clayton's the best in the world now. I don't know if Michael Smith, if he can snap into gear, if he can overcome his confidence issues, if he's the best player on the planet. But to answer your question, Rob, yes, a mental thing, and we have to hope he can overcome that. What about Peter Wright? Snakebite Peter Wright. (laughs) I mean, he's won the last major tournament to become a six-time major winner. And who would have thought that a few years ago when he was losing every final out there? He's got more momentum than anybody else going into this. He believes he's going to win that World Championship. And I don't think anybody can overlook a Peter Wright who's as confident as he is now. Because we've never had a snake bite who believes this much. He believes when he goes into tournaments that he can win them all. Because he was losing all these finals, as I said. And now he's won five out of his last six. So... I like those odds if I'm Peter Wright. I begin to believe, if I'm Peter Wright, that a second World Darts Championship could be his come January.
0: Lastly, is there any is there a chance that in 2022 it could be James Wade's year?
1: I think the machine is often written off. Uh, he, when people talk about the top 10 best darts players of all time, he's seemingly never mentioned. And I know May Mardell, the, uh, the Sky Sports pundit, did a, a bit of a list not too long ago of the top 10 best ever players to have never won a world championship and he wasn't even included. James Wade's won nine major titles. The world championship and the Grand Slam are the only two mi- missing off his resume. And to put that into perspective, there was people on that list with only one major tournament win. So that's how overlooked James Wade is. And I know he's not the biggest ticket seller. I know he's not the most, I suppose, charismatic individual at times. I mean, he's very likable to some people, but he's never going to be, he's never going to be, you know, beyond be on Soccer AM like a girl in price or on this morning, throwing darts with Holly Willoughby or what have you. So he's probably forgot. He's the forgotten man in that sense. But is he capable of winning a world championship? Yes, Rob. He's more than capable of winning a world championship, Rob. And after his UK Open win earlier this year, he may start to believe that this year is his year. But now moving on to the football and Manchester United have been on fire. Since they brought in Ralph Rangnick. And let's look at this Manchester United young boys game first. A slightly younger team playing. The German experimenting with his squad a little bit more. Greenwood bagging the goal. It ended as a 1-1 draw. And are you fairly happy with that result?
0: Yeah, James. I think it was... We talked about last week, didn't we? Which, which way he'd go. Whether he'd rotate or whether he'd continue to play with the players... Uh, in his starting eleven, and he decided to rotate, which was good, I suppose, he gets a chance to see uh, all the other players in his squad, which is important, because obviously he needs to know what he's working with I think he was probably pleasantly surprised because obviously, players who aren't playing every week, uh, aren't sharp but they did, you know did did show some good touches against young boys, and I think it's important uh, that obviously, Ralph looks at that and thinks, yeah, this is where we are and this is where we need to strengthen, what do you think
1: I completely agree. I mean, it's an opportunity for Ralph Rangnick to experiment the squad, to move things around, because you can't learn how your players play overnight. It's one thing watching them from afar on the TV screen. It's another thing being with them in person, seeing how they take in training, seeing what their attitude's like. So it's a big job for Ralph Rangnick, Ralph, and he's not going to understand everything overnight. But the early signs are positive, Rob. And when a new manager comes in, there's often this wave of positivity and you put in better performances than you usually would under that manager simply because he's just come in. But unlike Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, there seems to be a real sense that Ralph Rangnick can continue this long term.
0: Yeah, I think he can, uh, James. And I think it's, like I say, he's trying to build a a, a profile uh, and a way of playing because obviously we, we've talked about Oli uh tactics and how United relied to lied on counter attacks, uh, and he's trying to change that process to more uh, of a attacking pressing kind of way. And it and it's it has to be sort of addressed. Players have to change the way they train and the way they play. There'll be more injuries, and it's not a quick fix change. This thing doesn't happen overnight. Uh, I know he's only there. To the end of the season, as long as obviously you know, the board do find a, a replacement for Ollie, uh, but he hopes that they can continue to play the way they are. And, and you know, it's good signs, James. I think you know the gang and press or you know what what they what they call what they call it. It's just basics. You 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 rush the man, you rush the nearest man, and if everyone goes, you all go. And I think you know it's it's. Football has become more and more scientific. It's more about angles and, and passing sideways and creating space. When really, this is back to basics. You run, you run to the nearest man, pick him up. That's what you got to do. And I, and I think Man United playing this well, playing this way, uh, you know, will only be better going forward.
1: I completely agree, Rob. And now moving on to the Norwich game, Manchester United winning that one one 0 as well unbeaten
0: actually since only going social left the club and how long do you think we can keep this going for just, can we just go back to young boys for a second Charlie Savage which is Robbie Savage's uh, son made his debut for Manchester United uh, Robbie Savage Obviously, went through United's youth system with a class of 92, Didn't quite make it all Trafford, but went away uh, to, to make his uh, make his fame. I think it's great that this kid uh, has has sort of come through the United's ranks uh, and and got his first team debut. And we'll never know what he, what might happen. He could be a, a star of the future.
1: Most certainly. I mean, if he's anything like his dad, he'll be a controversial player. That's for sure.
0: Yeah you got that's a good point you say, obviously because there was lots of uh, sort of press before the game James talking about how uh, you know he was his son and how he was you know looking forward to seeing him play at old Trafford. that's extra pressure when you when you get ready to play for manchester united that your dad's on on the commentary on bt sport uh, talking about that normally if you get make your debut you normally stood in the stand but to be broadcast into millions it's that extra bit of pressure isn't it
1: yeah most certainly and It's one thing playing when you're fighting for your own name. It's another thing playing when you're having to bring in the reputation of your father. And Mm. surely that's even more difficult to cope with, Rob.
0: I'd say it is. I'd say it is, James. Because obviously, Robbie Savage was a bit of a battling kind of midfielder. And uh, this guy, you know, he he can play. Charlie can play. He's he's got good feet. He's got a good range. He's got a good engine. So I, I think, obviously... Robin he's never actually made it into the first team at Manchester United uh, at Old Trafford. Um, but this kid, you know, he could go far. Very excited.
1: Very much so. And now moving on to Manchester City's fixtures. Losing uh, 2-1 to uh, RB Leipzig. A bit of a shocker there. What, what did you make of that?
0: Yeah, I think, obviously, City already through, James. Um like I say, it's rotation in it they've got players who who wanna play um and it shows maybe the depth isn't as good as they think it is, but. Uh Leipzig had a good team in Germany, aren't they, James? You know, they they, they play good football. Big test. It was a test for Man City. Obviously they went down two one. Uh, but they'll be looking at that thinking, well, you know, players got an opportunity to play. You know, we're already through. It's you know, it's kind of a game we can we can uh, you know give up really. But I suppose the city fans wanna wanna compete in every game. And I think in games like this. If you start throwing games away because you think we can afford to lose one, it's a bad habit to get into, really.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you because it, it doesn't help your momentum going forward. It can be detrimental towards your confidence, and really every game should matter. That's the attitude you want to embed into your football club.
0: Oh yeah, I, I agree there, James, and it, it's important sort of you continue to sort of want to drive forward and want to succeed because if you become a bit stagnant and, and think well you know we, we're doing enough here it's fine that's when you get found out maybe if you look back at the Man United with Ferguson that has happened over the years that people have started believing that because you play for Man United it's a gift you know you, you, we'll just we'll find a way we'll find a bit of magic and we'll, we'll win a game and that is might be why where we are now when Man City are at the moment a team that's like an engine it's just it just chugs through the motions and gets results and it's it's going to be difficult for Pep to keep them in that zone because as soon as players start sort of believing their own hype and sort of thinking, we can just go through the motions here because we are Man City and we're beating everyone by three and four, that's when you start coming unstuck. But it's uh, Pep Guardiola is, is a top, top coach for, 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 you know, for reasons and he, he knows how to motivate players and he knows how to make them tick. So you're hoping that the Man City won't fall into that trap.
1: Yeah, you're hoping so, and it seems they didn't against Wolves. Not no. the greatest of performances, of course. He had to beat a ten men side,
0: but Sterling bagged the penalty, and uh, ultimately that sort saw them through. Yeah, hundred goals for Sterling in the Premier League. Um, James, you know, a great, a good. How would you rate him? How would you rate uh, Raheem Sterling when it comes to sort of uh, joining that hundred club and all the top centre forwards that have uh, come before him?
1: It's weird. I mean, you could argue that maybe there's been some better ones in the past, but I think people sometimes are a bit harsh on Raheem Sterling. I mean, the media's given him an absolute hammering, but there's no doubt that he's an incredibly talented player. And he's a fantastic asset for not only Manchester City, but the England side as well. And he's hoping that Raheem Sterling can bag a few more 100 goals in his career. You never know, he's still young enough to keep improving and to keep getting better. And under Pep Guardiola, things just seem to be improving. But talking Manchester City and talking Pep Guardiola... It seems that Manchester United might have a bit of competition for Eric Tain Hark mm. because City after him. <laughs> yeah, yes, <laughs> Rob. so apologies. Maybe I should have be been more clear there. Yeah, right.
0: Is that for next season, that James, or is that that'll in the be, future?
1: That'll be for uh, twenty twenty three. They're, they're going to make a bit of an offer to him to be the successor to uh, Pep Guardiola. Oh,
0: and obviously, is he is he a projects man or is he a finished built kind of guy?
1: I mean, Eric Ten Hag, you have to say, is the real deal. I mean, everything he's achieved in the Netherlands with Ajax winning 2 out of EC titles, uh, probably with a third one come the end of the season for what he's done in the Champions League, guiding Ajax all the way through to the semi-finals a couple of years back, beating Real Madrid and beating a Paul Pogba Juventus along the way. Great player. He's shown that he wants to transfer to Manchester United. Well, I suppose move to Manchester United. He said that he's willing to undertake this challenge, it wouldn't define him but it's one he's certainly ready for with Manchester City chirping at the bit to bring him in which club do you go to? Do you go to club with the history of Manchester United or do you go to Manchester City which being honest is a much easier managerial job
0: Well then Manchester have to bin been off one of the best managers, managers of all time in Pep Guardiola which should be a, a big shock really I mean Pep Guardiola is expected
1: to potentially leave the club in 2023 which would leave the door open to a potential Ten Hag move,
0: yeah, but then that's potential in it. You know, if if Pep Guardiola doesn't win a European Cup, or or you know still wants to be in the Premier League and compete against these top teams like Liverpool and Chelsea and United, has he? Because he's a bit of a serial winner, has he got um, the sort of the inner strength just to walk away from that challenge, James?
1: It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, you've got two clubs that offer completely different things. You've got the lure of trophies and success at Manchester City, but then you've got the lure of history and potentially achieving something far greater. Because winning a Premier League at Manchester yeah, great, amazing. Any manager could really do it with that team at the moment. Manchester United is a crumbling ship. Yeah. Do you fancy riding away in a speedboat on a luxury yacht or would you fancy taking over the sinking ship patching over the holes and driving it towards dry land again
0: i think it's one of them james where going to city you have all the luxuries don't you of as much money as you want to spend a squad of sort of internationals all motivated and wanting to, to to win uh, and be you know uh, champions of, of the Premier League and, and Europe and with Manchester United you've got pressure are not you of a team that have, have done that and um, players who previously have played for Manchester United in high media profile jobs being able to comment on your performance sort of week in week out and that I had Extra pressure for me, that, James, because obviously when you have Paul Scholes and Real Ferdinand and Gary Neville, you know, icons of the club, talking about your club and, and how you're not doing this and you're not doing that. And even they're in, inconveniently kind of saying, well, back in the glory days, we never had that kind of problem when really that adds that bit of pressure in it, really. So it would be interesting to see what he does, because obviously he has no links to Manchester United, but the players who play under him do and and it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens but i think um the exciting thing is for me james i've got to mention it before that manchester united have um appointed a um a psychologist a sports psychologist this week james i was shocked that Manchester united didn't have one already um but they do this week and, and i think it's it's good that that we've decided to to invest in that um area because obviously you can be super fit um and you can be super strong but it's your brain is, is a most important part of uh, your body when it comes to sport because obviously you need to think right uh, to win there's no for having all the mental uh, all the physical
1: ability in the world if you not get your mental place in the right way because you can have all that talent but how many players do we see go off the deep end and not yeah. achieve their potential because they're not mentally right hundreds thousands So to get into that correct mindset is the difference between somebody who ultimately wins everything and somebody who loses everything and doesn't utilise that potential. So the fact, as you say, that Manchester United didn't have a sports psychology already, I mean, I'm absolutely gobsmacked by that, Rob. But I'm just glad that they have it now. And I think the way the mentality is at that team at the moment, they certainly need one. Yeah.
0: Sasha Lens, his name is, uh, worked with Ralph in Germany, and um, at RB Leipzig, I think for a, for a few seasons. So he'll know what, it, you know what Ralph expects from him, and I think it'll help the players, because obviously playing for Manchester United is uh, a big task in it, and it's and playing any professional football is big, but when you play for Man United, it's even bigger, and that will weigh on players' shoulders, won't it?
1: Yeah, most certainly. And I think the good thing is now is that Ralph Rangnick is a man who knows how to bring the best out of football players. Mm. He understands mentality. He understands the game on just a different level. When you listen to his interviews, there's such a clear understanding. He articulates things so beautifully that you just believe him. If I was a player, I would want to play for Ralph Rangnick and I'd assume that you'd feel the same.
0: Oh, definitely. I, I think he will um, change Manchester United for the better. Whether they'll decide to keep him as head coach will depend on how well he does. If he gets to a Champions League semi-final uh, or he gets in a top four, you know, it'll be a very difficult decision to say, sorry Ralph, you know, we're gonna bring in, you know, someone else because he's got Man United back into I'm not saying Field sound like real third now. We're back at the we're back, we're back, we're not back, but he'll be driving towards that. So it will be interesting to see uh, what happens in that next stage, because obviously he's doing well, you know, at the moment, and um, I know the match against Norwich, the one, one nil scrappy win, uh, David De Gea producing three world-class saves, James to, to, to keep the Canaries out uh, penalty by Ronaldo was enough. Um, obviously because United kind of had a week off. Do you think that had an effect on the sluggishness of United's play?
1: Yeah, I mean, to play at your best, you need to remain active, don't you? Mm. And the fact that Manchester United had had a little bit of a rest, it probably didn't help them in that aspect. But activity is going to come in abundance now. We haven't got an international break for a little bit. And we've got a couple of games this week against Brentford and Brighton. Good sides, but another opportunity for Ralph Rangnick to experiment with his team a little bit. And I think by the end of the Christmas period, they'll have a good grasp on what's going on.
0: Yeah, because that's what it is. I think it's about making sure in this crisp period that the players remain fresh and focused. And obviously the way they want to play, it's very going to be energetic, in it? And you need to make sure you don't burn your players out. Uh, the fact that you're Man United as well and everyone wants to beat you will be that added pressure. So interesting times. You will have to wait and see what Ralph comes up with in the next few weeks or months.
1: Most certainly. I mean, I expect us to win both those games. And looking quickly at what Manchester City have ahead of them, Home against Leeds, away at Newcastle. Mm. Not the easiest of games because going to St James's Park, I mean, yes, they may be struggling in the table, but it's always a coliseum, isn't it?
0: Special place, Newcastle. Love, love the football. Passions there. And now they've got a set of new owners and a new manager as well. You know, the Giardies are going to be flying up there. Big pressure on Man City to get a result up there. Uh, Leeds at home. Uh, Leeds, are, Leeds are a funny side. They, they don't always play well um, but you know they know they can turn it on when it matters so it will be interesting to see what Pep and his, uh, his men can do over these next two games but like I said before James you don't win championships by beating Liverpool and Fields. You beat championships by beating Leeds at, Leeds at home and Newcastle away.
1: I mean you're 100% right. You have got To keep that tally going, haven't you? Because you can't just, you know, let it go and be complacent. Because dropping points at these lower league clubs, at these lower uh, table clubs, should I say, it can be so detrimental when you get to scoring those points at the end of the season
0: because if, you right, if, if, if you that's, haven't that's an important thing because obviously you look back at the glory days with Ferguson United nicking late winners and and nicking late draws that's the reason why they won championships because they they won the games which they looked they looked like they were going to lose or they picked up points when they didn't look like they were going to get any and that and that is a mark of a of a title winning side uh Liverpool a couple of weeks ago against Wolves um there's I can say him scored with about a minute to go, and and that makes you think, you know, this Liverpool side, it, it's their moment in time that they're able to nick sort of winners and equalisers, and and pick up them points. I know it sickens us to say it, but you can you can almost feel it that they've got that either tiger, um, you know, will to win, uh, which gets them over the line when it matters.
1: I mean, Manchester City are a special, special side, aren't they? Mm. I mean. We can deny it all we want, and we can claim against them because of their history, but they're an extremely difficult team to beat. Yeah. And when Pep Guardiola gets it right, it's not impossible to beat them, if, if the truth has to be told. But we've got to move on to the ice hockey now, Rob. And mm-hmm. it's
0: been a mixed week for Manchester Storm. As as James, they lost uh, 3 2 um, to Cardiff Devils after extra time. Curtis Hamilton and uh, Jared Worm are the two goals uh, for Manchester Storm. Cardiff a second in the league, Storm was sixth. Um, So, defeat at home uh, was was a bit disappointing, but bounce back on the Sunday, James, with an away win against 5 1 5 1 away uh, there. Dallas Hare Hart, Ben Wilson, Zach Sullivan, and Austin. Alberger with the with the goals. Fast storm, great result uh, for Manchester Storm uh, to go to five and and win. Uh, a lot of pressure on uh, the Storm. They've, they've had a few games that have slipped away from them. So to get a result against five, uh, you know, on Sunday is is a good thing. And we're all kind of uh, hoping they can use this as a springboard uh, to greater things in the in the uh, coming uh, weeks and months to come. And can you talk about the fixtures that they've got upcoming? Yeah. So, fixture this week, James, is Nottingham away on uh, Wednesday night. Uh, tough place to go, Nottingham. Um, you're hoping that Storm, you know, excited about the, the five victory, might get some at there. And then they've got Glasgow at home on the Saturday. Um, I'm sure the Storm shuttle will be buzzing uh, and um, they can get a result against the, the Glaswegians there. So, after all the ice hockey, now what we'll do, we'll talk UFC, James. And UFC 269 went down over the weekend, and there was absolute heartbreak for one of the sport's most loved fighters.
1: I'm gutted, Rob. Mm. If there was any human being on the planet that deserved his moment to say, I am the best on planet, it was Justin Poirier. The amount of adversity that Miss Mann has overcome, the amount of losses that he's bounced back from, the amount of heartbreak that he's had to overcome, it's pretty much unrivaled in the sport. So everybody wanted him to see him have his big moment. And he was so close. He put Oliveira down twice in the opening round and he looked on the cusp of the fish. His power and his boxing looked beautiful, almost mesmeric at points. But then in the second round, everything just crumbled. Oliveira took him down, dominated him on the ground, and by the third he pretty much taken full control. He got the choke and he ended poor Ace hopes and dreams of becoming a world champion.
0: Will Dustin ever become champion, you think? My heart wants
1: to say yes. At this point my head says no. Uh, I don't think he gets an instant rematch with Oliveira. I think Oliveira will fight Justin Gaethje. Regardless of who wins that, I think they'll have to fight Islam Makhachev, and I think Islam Makachev beats either of them. And I think he'll be the new star in the division. So, with the sincerest of regret, I don't think Poirier becomes world champion.
0: If he doesn't win the belt, what, well, I guess it does he leave behind? An amazing one.
1: And I hope people remember what a fantastic fighter he's been. You don't have to become champion to be one of the best in the world. And Dustin Poirier is one of the greatest lightweights of all time, irrespective of whether he's won the best or not. He's beaten Max Holloway, Eddie Alvarez, Justin Gagey, Anthony Pettis, Colin McGregor. He's got a resume that stacks up with absolutely everybody, and he's done it all whilst being a genuinely good guy. And I hope that the exciting performances he's put on will be remembered long after he retires.
0: Fans may be sad about results. Let's talk about the brilliant performance from the champion.
1: We often criticise Charles Oliveira for hating the fire. When times got tough, he quit. But in his last two fights, he's completely disregarded of those opinions. He's gone through the absolute wars with Michael Chandler and Dustin Poirier. He's been dropped three times in those two fights put together. And he's overcome it and he's managed to find the victory himself. He's an extremely technically gifted athlete, and it seems now his heart's in the right place. And with all those things combined, he's going to be incredibly tough to beat.
0: In the co-main event, we witnessed the biggest upset in the history of the sport. Juliana Pena, 11-1, to defeating Amanda
1: Nunes, the greatest female fighter of all time, and nobody gave her a hope in hell. She wasn't given any chance whatsoever, but she completely tore up the script. She put it on Nunes, she landed power punches, and by the end, by the time she'd even half put that submission in, Amanda Nunes was ready to give up. Juliana Peña well and truly put her through the mill in what was an incredible showing.
0: What else was it on the car, James?
1: Oh, there was some great stuff. I mean, Cody Garbrandt defeated by Kai Kara France. It looks like the man who's now moved down to flyaway. It's difficult to see where he goes from here because he's, not, he's just not capable of putting the victories together. And that's incredibly disappointing after his uh, his performance against Dominic Cruz, what five years ago now. He's gone 6-1 uh, and one since that, so deeply disappointing. What else? Sugar Sean O'Malley looked great on the card as well. So, overall, it was a really good one and a fantastic
0: way to end the year. And finally, during the broadcast, UFC confirmed a big fight for February, didn't they?
1: They did. Your man, Bobby Knuckles, will be challenging (laughs) for the world middleweight title. Once again, trying to reclaim that belt he lost against Israel Adesanya. It's the rematch. It's Robert Whittaker coming with a better game plan. Who knows what he's capable of achieving?
0: I've got a friend who follows UFC and I mentioned Bobby Bobby Knuckles to him and he looked at me like, ooh, and I thought to myself, James been having me off for months here. (laughs) But then he Googled it and went, oh yeah, Robert. Was he called Robert Hendricks? Robert Whitaker. Robert, Robert Whitaker. Oh, rare yeah, Robert Whitaker. And I thought, yeah, Robert Whitaker. But you know what I mean? Call him Bobby Knuckles. That's his real name. <laughs> so, what you're, you're saying now, Rob, is that in this scenario with you and your friend, you were actually the UFC aficionado who knew yeah. that little bit extra. Exactly. Yeah. It made me, made me feel tall, it made me feel proud inside that every week, James, you give me top draw coverage of the UFC. I mean, what would you do without me, Rob? I am bringing paramounts
1: to your life at the moment. (sighs) You're not wrong, James. You're not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now it's time to move on to the boxing, and I'm delighted to be joined by Paul Whiteside. And we've got some massive fights coming up this weekend on both sides of the Atlantic with Joseph Parker and Derek Chisora and Jake Paul and Tyrone Woodley. Two big rematches. But before we get on to them, there's some action to look back on over the course of the weekend. And Conor Ben put in a career-best performance dispatching of Chris Algieri inside of five rounds. A dynamic performance, an incredible finish. And Ben is now announcing himself to the world stage.
2: Yeah, he certainly is, James. Yeah, good to speak to you, mate. Um, I think, for, firstly, you got, yeah, like you said, you congratulate Conor Ben. I saw a few things on social media saying, you know, Algieri's a bit washed up and this, that, and the other is 37 years of age. And there's nothing wrong with being 37. Um, I think I think he's been a terrific boxer. I still think he is. You know, he's a very fit man, a very tough man as well. And, and you know, to say to say that I thought was disrespectful. But Connor Ben you know, he took him apart, and I've never seen anybody take Algeria apart like that, you know, he's fought some of, of, of Britain's best, hasn't he, and, you know, people have struggled against him, but Conor Ben absolutely ripped into him, and, you know, I, I think he floored him early doors as well, didn't he, and that finish was, that was something special, and we've seen that recently with Conor Ben. you know, when he's been, he's got into the ring, and he's been unleashed, he's like a dog off the lead, isn't he? He really is ferocious, and, you know, he's he's, he's frightening, he's got some frightening skills there, and if I was you know, in sort of that weight division, I'd be very, very wary of him and the power that he possesses at that weight as well. So I know he's mentioned, you know, Amir Khan and, and Kel Brook, but I think Conor Ben can start looking above that now. I think he can start looking towards world level, and you know, Amir Khan and Kel Brook would be a, a great domestic dust up for him. But I think he's got to start looking forward now. Big fights, definitely. I think he's not far off a world title shot. I don't think now.
1: I mean, Andy Lee and Tony Bell, you had a bit of a disagreement in the studio. Bell, was saying he's ready for absolutely everybody outside of Crawford and Spence. Andy Lee giggled a little bit, said, come on, Tony, there's other people out there. You know, a lot of the prospects coming through in America. There's David Evanisian, people like that. Whose side would you go on? I mean, do you think that Conor Ben is capable of beating everybody outside of Crawford and Spence? Or do you think there's another few names that he's still not quite ready for?
2: I think, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you've got to be cautious, uh, James. I think sometimes people get carried away, don't they, in the heat of the moment. And as I said before, I, I saw people sort of saying that, that, that Algeria was washed up and things like that. I wouldn't say washed up, but he's probably a guy that's towards the back end of his career. When you're talking about Sir Crawford and people like that, they're, they're a step above Algeria. So that that's a long way to go for Conor Ben. You know, he, he might look good in that fight, but would he look good against Sarah Crawford? You're not too sure because he's not been in with that sort of operator yet. I think for me, you just mentioned what, a name there that would that, be fantastic for Conor Ben and it'd be a fantastic prospect for a fight. David Avenition, how exciting is he to put him in with Conor Ben? Their two styles, I think that'd be fireworks. That'd be absolute fireworks. And that'd be a massive test for Ben because you look at Avenition, what he's done recently, he's. He's very powerful and he's a he's a terrific fighter. So that that'd be a great fight for him and a, and a stepping stone towards you know that the upper echelons. But you're talking about lads of Crawford and that they're, they're special fighters. Um, but Conor Ben could be up there, but you've got to work your way there. To me, I, I don't think he could go parachuting straight into a fight like that. I think just just keep taking it. He's got a good team behind him with Conor Ben, um, and, and I, I'm pretty sure they'll, they'll map his way out the right way. Yeah,
1: I mean I completely agree with you, Paul, and. Connor Benton recently has called out Adrian Broner, and that would be an amazing build-up. Broner's about as likable and controversial as the star as you could possibly find. However, in recent times, when he actually gets in the ring, he's been nothing short of boring. I mean, he doesn't throw many punches. He seems content to lose on a a decision. He never really goes for it anymore. And I fear if Ben would get that fight, we'd have a huge build-up and very little reward in the actual fight.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You're probably right. I mean, if Conor been was to get that fight win that fight, that'd be a big feather in his cap, wouldn't it? But I don't know whether that's the right the right way for him to go. As I said before, his, his, his team will probably have, have, have mapped it out. I know he has Tony Sims there in the background with him, who's done tremendous work with a lot of British fighters over the years. He knows the game inside out. He's got his dad there working with him. So he's got a good team there as Conor ben So I, I think they'll, they'll plot his... His route, you know, over the next you know to 18 months or so, he's only 25, isn't he? 24, 25. He's got an awful lot left in the tank, and you know, for someone like him you don't want to rush things and, and, and go the wrong way and take the wrong fight. It's, you know, it's, it's vital he just keeps building because he's a special fighter. There's no doubt about that, as, as I mentioned, about the the way he punches at that weight. There's not many at that weight that can hit as hard as he can, so that's very special to have. He's got a fantastic engine, his fitness, his speed. He's got every attribute that a top boxer needs, so yeah, as I said before, I think the Avinishan fight makes absolute sense. I think that'd be a great fight, um, but we'll have to just see what he comes up with now. I mean, I'm looking forward to the Amir Khan and, and Kell Brook fight. I know we've we've spoke about that and said perhaps it's you know a few years too late, but it's still one that whets the appetite. And would 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 Conor Ben want to go in with one of those? Probably. I think he would because it's British fights are, are always great. So yeah, exciting times for him. There's no doubt about that.
1: Now we're going to take a hop, skip, and a jump and move over to Dubai and Probellum and hit us with their first ever card: Sonny Edwards versus Jason Mamma. And Sonny Edwards absolutely dismantled his Filipino opponent and Pabellum have been talking about how they're going to revolutionise the sport they're bringing all sorts of big names in from all different organisations to help them build this product and I was expecting big things from the purse promotion but to me it looked very lazy looked very sloppy the production value didn't seem very high and for a company that says they're going to revolutionise the sport of the boxing. It didn't seem that way off first glance, and they've got a lot of criticism for their links to MTK and, and Daniel Kinahan, of course, who were discussed uh, quite deeply on the BBC Panorama documentary.
2: And so far, for me, this whole thing's just not a great look. No, no, it didn't. It didn't seem that way. Am I right in saying that um, they've signed um, Ricky Burns up to uh, to that promotion? Correct. Yes. I was, I was, yeah, I was reading about Ricky Burns at the weekend. In making. He's a, I'm a big fan of Ricky's, and I, I believe he's making a comeback. And I, I believe he was going going over there. So I, I didn't know whether that was really the right sort of thing for him to do because I thought, you know, it's a similar age to me, myself. You know, 38 years of age. So. He's been out of the ring for two years, so I thought that was a strange one. But no, regarding that bill, yeah, I wasn't overly impressed with it. So we'll have to have to see what happens there. And as you say, the links to um, to certain people as well, you know, you know, alarm bells and things like that. So less said about that, the better. But um, yeah, we'll have to watch the space on that one because I wasn't overly impressed.
1: And now moving over to Madison Square Garden, New York, Lamachenko looking back to his dazzling best against a very brave Richard Comi. Tyson Fury was at the fight as well to serenade Bob Aaron with a special rendition of Happy Birthday for the Boxing Promoter's 90th. But I think following the Teofimo Lopez loss, people have written Lomachenko off and we've forgotten what a brilliant fighter he is.
2: Oh, certainly, yeah. And I think, you know, Comedy was was as brave as they come, you know, to, to go all that way with him as well. And we've seen what Lamachenko can do to some of, you know, Britain's best, you know, dismantling some of Britain's best over the last few years and I I thought it was another masterclass performance for him him really and he he predicted it didn't he I think there's been a few shows on, on the television recently about his training and, and what he gets up to, you know, in his training camps and things like that. And he's an absolute machine, isn't he? And you've got to admire people like that and what they bring to the sport. He's an absolute master of his his, his craft. And just just watch the way he moves around that ring, the angles that he uses and his speed as well. He's a terrific fighter. You, you don't see many fighters like that in, in, in a generation, really. So you're lucky to see someone like that. And, um, yeah, yeah, terrific fighter. And he's, he's announced himself back on. On the, on the world stage and he'll be after those uh, those belts again. There's no doubt about that.
1: Now moving on to two absolute cracking super fights this weekend, Paul. First things first, Manchester Arena. It's the rematch. Derek Chisora and Joseph Parker. and First time round, I think we both felt that the Brit was unlucky to get the decision. I mean, it felt really like he'd sweep the first half of the fight, so it was unlucky that the judges didn't give him the verdict. But, Chisot, uh, Parker's had a lot longer to train with Andy Lee, and maybe that'll make the difference this time. But who do you think wins the fight?
2: Um, it's a tough one for me. That one, I think it's a it's a close one. Don't think he can write Derek Chizor off. I really don't. As I said, when when Josie Parker first came on the scene quite a while ago, now he was very highly thought of, and people were saying, you know, he's going to be he's going to be the one. He's going to be the one that's going to going to you know scoop scoop all the belts and. I think we believe that he had the attributes and that and one thing or another it's not quite worked out for him not quite gone the way it uh it could have done i think technically he's he's probably the the better boxer out of the two of them but you've only got to look at the the wars that Derek Chisora has been and you can never write him off you know he's got grit he's got heart he's got determination and you know if he can get Joseph Parker into those later rounds i think he can he can take that fight it's, it's a difficult one i think it, and I want to predict. I'm going to go with Derek Chazor. I like Derek. I think he brings a lot to the sport and, uh, you know, he's a British fighter as well. So, uh, yeah, I hope Derek uh, pulls it off. Right. With two minutes
1: left on the clock, Paul, we're going to move over to America now. To Miami and Tommy Fury was scheduled to fight Jake Paul. He's had to pull out of the fight due to a broken rib. He's getting a lot of stick for that on social media. But at the end of the day, what can you do if your rib's broken?
2: It's a tricky one. It's painful. If you if you bruise a rib, never mind, break one. So, um no, I've had the odd bruised rib and it's, it's hard to move about. So, if you've broken a rib, you've not got much chance there, have you? So, it's just one of those things. Injuries happen in sport, don't they? Especially in boxing, it's frustrating. But what can you do? You can't fight with a broken rib.
1: So, Tyron Woodley is filling in for the rematch with Jake Paul. Of course, last time the fight went all eight rounds and Woodley dropped Paul. It wasn't counted, but dropped him in the fourth round. And seemingly had the American out. Seemingly had the YouTuber completely gone but didn't throw the punches, didn't put anything together and seemingly, I mean, I couldn't I couldn't say seemingly anymore in this question, but uh, let Jacob Paul off the hook, really. Is it going to make a difference this weekend? Is he going to give it his everything this time? Or will he just pitter-patter his
2: way and lose on points again? Well, you, you'd hope his pride, he'd want to make that difference now. You know, you, you've had a fight like that where you've been frustrated. Surely, to God, you know, as a fighter, you want to make amends for that. You know, if you've not performed in a fight or it's not got quite gone your way, that's going to eat away at you, surely, in your training camp, and you're going to want to put things right. I'd like to see that anyway. You, you don't want to see a fighter go in there and just pit a pat, as you say, and, and go through the motions. So let's hope both fighters are switched on and we get a terrific fight. We'll speak to you next time on The Sports Zone.